When I was young, I hoped to acquire wisdom. When my, I wrote in my autobiographies, in my memoir to 40, that I wanted to obtain wisdom. And I had this big, fat book. Uh, it was actually called Wisdom. Uh, I don't know what happened to that book. But anyways, we come to book book six. Uh, book six. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis. Book six of the Confessions of Augustine. So, young man, I say to you, arise. Uh, and listen to this podcast. Book 1611. Oh God, my hope for my youth. Uh, where were you and to where? Had I you withdrawn from me, had you not created me and set me apart from the four-footed beast and the birds of the sky, making me wiser? Well, in a way, I was born as a human being. And yet I was walking in darkness and on slippery paths, seeking you outside myself, but not finding the God of my heart. I had reached the depths of the sea and despaired of ever finding truth. Hmm. Did I? Despair? I don't know. Uh, Psalm 71, 5. Vulgate 70, Other translations. Job 35, 11. Psalm 34, 6. Vulgate 35, 06. Other translations. Psalm 67, 23. Vulgate 68 and 22. In despair of ever finding truth, strong in her piety, my mother had now come to me, following me over sea and land, confident in you in every danger she faced. And even on the perilous sea, she comforted the sailors, who are more used to assuring frightened passengers unaccompanied to the sea. She, she uh, promised them a safe arrival, for you had assured her of this in a vision. Uh-huh. She found me in great peril and in despair that I would ever find truth. But when I revealed to her that I was no longer a Manichaean, though not yet a Christian, she did not leap with joy, as if my words were unexpected. But she was now reassured concerning that part of my misery for which she had wept over me as one dead, though to be reawakened by you and on a peer, peer of her thoughts she offered me to you, that you might say to the son of this widow, Young man, I say to you, arise. And her son would come to life again and begin to speak, and you would deliver him to his mother. Thus, but no tempestuous exaltation shook her heart when she heard that what she had prayed to you for every day with lamentations had already in so large a part come about, though I had not yet attained truth. I had been rescued from falsehood, but as she was certain that you would grant the rest since you had promised the whole, she replied to me with great calm, her breast filled with confidence that she believed in Christ and that before she left this life she should see me a true and faithful Christian. What? That is what she said to me. But to you, fountains of mercies, her prayers and tears surged uh, more profusely that you would quicken your help and enlighten my darkness. And she hurried all the more zealously to church and hung on Bishop Ambrose's lips, 
praying for the fountain of water that springs up into eternal life. She cherished that man as if he were an angel of God because she knew that it was through him that I had been brought for the time being to that state of wavering and doubt, though, through which she foresaw with certainty that I would pass from sickness to health with more severe danger in the interim. That physician's called the turning point. <laughs> should reach the turning point. Mm -hmm. Have I reached it or gone past it or am I circling back? <laughs> huh. What am I at? Hmm. At what point are you at? <laughs> I don't know. Huh. Well, that's a young man that should rise up. Can't expect an old man to do anything. <laughs> I could become young and then rise up. Two point two. My mother brought cakes, bread, and wine to the memorial shrines of the saints as she used to do in Africa. But when she was stopped by the sexton and heard that Bishop Ambrose prohibited such offerings. She embraced the bishop's wishes with such piety and obedience that I marveled at how readily she faulted her own practice rather than dispute his prohibition. Thirst for wine did not beset her spirit, nor did love of wine incite her to a hatred of the truth, as happens with many men and women who are repelled by a sermon of sobriety, as drunkards are by watery wine. But when my mother would bring her basket with the customary ceremonial fare to the sanctuaries to be first tasted by herself and then shared with others. She never offered more than a small cup of wine diluted according to her own sober taste, of which she would partake in piety. And if there were many shrines of the departed saints to be honored, she brought it to them, only that one cup to be offered everywhere. And this, one, this cup of wine, which was not only watery, but was also unpleasantly warm from being carried about. I don't want any watery, unpleasantly warm wine. She distributed it to people there by small sips for she had come to the sanctuary seeking piety. Huh? Uh, agua? Just agua? You don't want any watery wine warmed up, huh? Just agua? Okay. Agua. I should take some agua to the park, I guess. The park is... I don't feel anything right. And my mother refrained with light when she learned that the preeminent preacher and pious preceptor forbade such offerings, even to those who offered them in sobriety. At least an opportunity for excess be given to drunkards for their, these offerings to the dead very much resemble the superstitions of heathens. Uh, I would think so. Instead of a basket filled with fruit of the earth, my mother now learned to bring to the shrines of the martyrs a heart filled with untainted vows and to give what she could to the poor so that the communion of the body of the Lord might be celebrated there, where in imitation of his passion the martyrs had been sacrificed and crowned. And it seems to me, Lord my God, and my heart believes this before your presence, that perhaps she would not have acquiesced so readily 
and relinquishing this custom had it been forbidden by another whom she did not cherish as she cherished Bishop Ambrose. She loved him beyond measure on account of my salvation while she cherished. He cherished her for the deep devotedness in which in good works and in fervent spirit she always came to the church so that when he saw me he often sang her praises congratulating me on having such a mother though he did not know what a son she had in me who doubted all these things and believed that the path to life could not be found <laughs> yeah I was uh, I wasn't sure I was just a materialistic imperialist materialist before conversion before age 20, I was just a materialist. <laughs> the default, the default belief was pragmatism. Was Protestant at, in Protestant act is just a materialism. <laughs> it's just uh, logical positivism. That was the default philosophy of Americans in the Midwest. Uh, defaulted, I defaulted to that. Okay. Until conversion. <laughs> okay. Oh. Hmm. 3.3 Nor did I yet in my prayers cry out for you to help me, but my mind was striving to learn and patient to dispute. I discovered Ambrose, a happy man in the eyes of the world, as he was greatly respected by so many men of power. Only his celibacy seemed to me a heavy burden. Celebi to a, to a young man, to a young man in his twenties. Celebi seemed to me a heavy burden. <laughs> you don't want to be a celibate at age twenty-five. <laughs> seemed like only a celibi seemed to me a heavy burden, but I could neither surmise nor had I ever experienced the hopes that he bore. His struggles against the temptations that beset his very perfection or what solace he had in adversity, or the delicious Rico. Joy as the hidden mouth of his heart partook of your bread. Nor did he know of the fury ferment within me, or the perilous, per perilous pit before me, for I could not ask him what I wanted to ask, nor in the way I wanted to ask it, kept as I was from asking him all my questions. and. Hearing all his answers by the bustling throngs of people to those infirmity, infirmities he ministered and money he was not occupied by these people, which was only for brief periods he either restored his body with essential nourishment or his mind with reading. That's all I do is eat and read. They restore my body with essential nourishment or oftentimes too much nourishment. I should eat only essential nourishment and not excess. And I could my mind preoccupy my mind with reading when I'm not in meditation. But when he read, he saw ran his eyes across the page, his heart calling the meaning through his voice and tongue remained at rest often when we visited him, for no one was prohibited from entering, nor did he expect that those who visited should be announced to him. We saw him reading soundlessly, 
Never in any other way, and after we sat for a long time in silence, for who would dare intrude on such rapt attention? Uh-huh. If we could just have very rapt attention during our readings and meditation uh-huh. for a long time in silence, a long time. So the path is just create how to create much longer and longer times in silence. So it's really yeah. just time management. <laughs> so in some of my poetry, in quite a few places, I say that spirituality is just time management. <laughs> How can you sit in for a long time in silence? We would depart, assuming that he would not want to be disturbed in this brief interval. He had found to restore his thoughts, free from the clamor of other people's cares. Perhaps his reason for reading in silence was to avoid having to explain to a chance listener who might interrupt him to ask the meaning of a difficult passage he was reading and to discuss some of the harder questions spending his time in discussion. He could not read through as many scrolls as he desired. Though probably his wish to preserve his voice, which tired so easily, might be the truer reason for his silent reading. But what our motive led, led him to read in the soy? I was definitely a good motive in a man like him. It was definitely. Uh-huh. Well, that's good enough. We can end this reading so you could sit, spend a long time in silence instead. Uh-huh. Okay.